0: Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Kego Lasso. Today on the show, we are giving you the weekend review Man City against Arsenal, Everton against Liverpool, the Milan Derby. We're going to give you analysis and betting tips on the best games that you can gamble on. We'll also talk about the Golden Boy shortlist and we will answer your questions. We have James Bench and, of course, Jimmy Conrad all coming up on this episode of Que Olasso. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Jimmy Conrad and James Bench, his first episode with us, the insider of CBS, writer and HQ talent extraordinaire, James Bench from London. Welcome to Keolasso Pod. How are you, bud?
0: I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Um, It's a bit late at night out here in London, but I'm getting hyped for a future of of late night pods, evenings spent with you, maybe with a few beers sometimes. You guys should be working right now.
1: You make it sound so romantic. James oh, yeah. Bench, also a very big Arsenal insider. We're going to have a lot to talk about. But wait, now let's talk about the weekend preview. Jimmy, sees so much to talk about. We will begin with the Premier League and some big games, Man City, Arsenal, of course. Uh, and we also have uh, Liverpool against Everton, the Merseyside derby. And you know, so many more to talk about. Let's set the scene, Jimmy. Talk to us, betting tips, gambling advice, give it to us.
2: Yeah, as you guys know, or maybe if you don't, I'm gonna let you know right now, I'm the wagering analyst for CBS Sports, okay? So I put on my trunks and I go swim in the warm waters over at William Hill, and I look for some good odds for you guys, okay? Now everybody has some ideas about what they want, their heart's telling them something. You guys go ahead and bet that. That's fine. I'm just going to give you some other things to look at for your consideration if you want to actually make some money, because I know what I'm doing. Look at this face and hair, right? I got it all figured out. So if we talk about Everton versus Liverpool, what's interesting about this game in particular is that Everton haven't beaten Liverpool since 2010. We could argue they're due. And with Everton absolutely balling out right now, maybe it would have been better if they had played prior to the international break. Maybe they've lost some of that momentum, but I do like a few of their lines. If you want Everton to win straight up, it's plus 285. So if you bet 100, you can win 285 if Everton wins straight up. I don't know if that's going to happen because Liverpool are pretty good, even though we could argue the back line has been a little shaky. Virgil van Dyke, both for club and country, hasn't really been Virgil van Dyke that we know and love. The draw, though, is plus 290. I think that's great value. You can get them to draw 1-1, 2-2, plus 290. I might be investing some of my own money there. Hamas to get an assist at any point during the game, plus 200. I love that one a lot. And then Calvert-Lewin, he scored the first goal for Everton in their four straight four league games. So four straight games, he scored the first goal for them. If you want to bet him to do that, again, in this one, it's plus 450. And if you want him to score any time, plus 125, he's coming off scoring his first goal for England. He's super hot. Those are the odds that I like in that particular game. Now let's move over to Arsenal versus Manchester City. They're, they're traveling Arsenal. The Gunners over to the Etihad. What I like about this one, I know for all you Gunners fans out there, you're like, please don't pick my team because when Jimmy picks my team, they lose. That might be true, but in this one, I think it's going to be different because Manchester City don't probably don't have uh, Kevin De Bruyne, who apparently is going to be out. Raheem Sterling's going to be out. Jesus is out. Aguero's out. They're going to be lacking. Now we, of course, we look at their depth. They got Mares, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden. It must be nice to be Manchester City. But I like Arsenal to do the business. If you want them to win straight up, which I think they're going to do, two to one. If you're not asking, well, I'm I'm telling you whether you want to ask, want to know or not. Plus five fifty for that. But if you're thinking, okay, maybe a draw plus 3.75 again, I think it's great value for that one. I think Arsenal in their front three with Willian, Lacazette, and Aubameyang is. Party going to play? Yes, he probably will. I hope he does. Uh, I think that will really be a big, big boost for the team, and I just like him to do well. Also, I got Granit Xhaka getting a yellow card. And uh, that's plus one fifty. I mean, you got that's like I'm like printing money for you over at William Hill. If you want to bet Jaka get in a yellow card plus one fifty. Also, as a flyer in this one, I like this one a lot. Obama Yang to score, Arsenal to win, and both teams to score plus one thousand. Yeah, you can thank me later, and so can your 401k once you hit that one. So yeah, there's a, a lot of interesting things going on. And then I'll just go to the Milan Darby. Oh, you know what? Stay, we're staying with Premier League, right? Let's just stick with the Premier League. But those are my two games that I think had some good action.
1: Jimmy, see with the gambling uh, wagering tips. Absolutely amazing. We might hit another game before we move on to another league. But um, Bench, let's start with the Merseyside Derby. Um, You know, as Jimmy mentioned, first of all, Hamas to get an assist anytime in this game. I like that. That's a good one right there. But let's focus on on the game itself. Liverpool coming off uh, a 7-2 loss against the greatest team in the planet, uh, Aston Villa. And now they're facing their uh, Merseyside uh, rivals in Everton. Carlo Ancelotti has them clicking. Uh, DCL up front doing so well. Ham is clicking everything. The team just looks good. They look confident. They look ready. What do you see here?
0: I do see an Everton team that, that looks like all that, but I don't quite buy it yet. I don't know what it is. I think sometimes we make these decisions early on, before the season a ball's been kicked, but you still need to see a lot of evidence to change your mind. I look at this team and I think, you know, when it gets really rigorous in English football, is it a bit old? Is it a bit slow? Is it a bit one-note? I mean, I could be proven wrong. And I think the the person you mentioned in there, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for me, is the difference between Everton being an okay team and Everton being a great team right now, just because he's got a bit of everything. He's a target man by build, but he's got the mobility of a true centre forward. Um, his goal-scoring instincts are phenomenal. I don't really think at the moment that he's necessarily on an unsustainable hot streak. He's just getting in good positions and scoring good goals. Him and Richarlison, that's a great combination. And um, as, as you say, Hammer's we'll see how does he hold up over a 38 game season plus an FA cup i've got my doubts he's obviously spent a lot of years playing a supporting role but right now he just looks remarkable this is the player that we all fell in love with in 2014 and it's it is great to see him in a starring role with this everton team that looks like it's it's going places it'll be a while before i pick them to beat a liverpool team no matter what state that Liverpool team is in, um, but Everton, I'm not there yet, but I can totally see why other people are.
2: Ben, Bench. Let's, let's talk about their midfield though. They upgraded, uh, Alon is going to be in, back in the team. Andre Gomez is fully fit and ready to go. Decore was such a great signing from Watford. That, that three that's protecting a back four, which we could argue might have some vulnerabilities there. Mm. And then you have the confidence of Calvert-Lewin. You have Richarlson who already has a ton of confidence. And then you got Hamas. That front six is solid. You know, for me, I think it's can they manage that back four? Is Pickford the guy that's really going to take him to that next level? Lucas Digne might be out, which would be a big loss for them on the left side because he bombs four and he's very good at picking spots of when to go and when to stay. So I don't know. There's some issues there. Seamus Coleman might be injured, uh, injured as well. And obviously he's been a he's the last time he was the last player to ever play for Everton that beat Liverpool back in 2010. He's the last person standing. So, yeah, I think I have some questions, but there's so much to be be excited about with this team. And then you throw in the fact that Liverpool, Alisson's not going to start. Adrian's going to be in goal. He just shipped seven against Villa, as Luis said. So, I I, I don't know. Liverpool doesn't look like the Liverpool that, that uh, you know, just won the Premier League and won the Champions League the season before that.
1: So, here's a question. Uh, let's focus now on Liverpool. A lot of Everton, um, I, I agree. I, I think that we still have to wait and see if this is really Carlo Ancelotti's uh you know, ultimate uh, package. I mean, listen, I did a crazy prediction at the beginning of the season. I said that they're going to make it to the Champions League. So hold me that till I die. Let's see what happens. But let's talk about Liverpool. All right. Yes, they lost 7-2. It was absolutely uh, incredible to see. But is this an opportunity, Benj, for Jurgen Klopp to say to this team, wake up, you're Mm -hmm. the defending champion. Wake up. Because this is not a given. I know that there are challenges. You're coming off an international break. What can you do? Wake up. I think that Jimmy brings a good point about Adrián at the back. You know, just so shaky compared to the, you know, comparable wall that is Alisson, you know, who really is just arguably, you know, the best goalkeeper in the league. What can Liverpool do to make sure that they don't lose and especially lose badly?
0: Not really worry about it. I mean... That Villa game was remarkable. It was, But it was stupid. It just doesn't really happen. It, 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 it's a game that has no right to exist. <laughs> and I'd seen um, that Liverpool team in the flesh uh, six days before against Arsenal. And my God, they looked as good as they've ever looked. The pressing was remorseless. Um, in particular, you know, Vinaldum, Mane scares the life out of opposing defenders. And I almost, I almost think that they kind of need to re-embrace that. I think when Liverpool have been a bit disappointing is when they've been a bit passive. And against Villa, my God, there was no press at all. They had the high line and no one at the top pressing up. So having Mane, I don't know if he's back. I think Sadio Mane is back. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. There is a training
1: no. boost news of him that, that he should be back. He might be even preferred to Mohamed Salah in that line, uh, but he might, he might return as Tiago Alcantara as well.
0: He's the one that triggers that press and this Liverpool team, their most important defenders of Firmino and Mane. It's not Van Dijk even. It's not, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold. It's about setting that, 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 energy from the front and going back to what we were talking about you press the life out of that Everton defence you every time Jordan Pickford has the ball you you terrify him because the thing with Pickford as well sorry to go back onto Everton is he wants to do the right thing he wants to pass through that press um so I think having Mane back will be a a huge boost in spite of all the plaudits that go his way and Liverpool's way I think he's vastly underrated by the football world um, and with him, the press and everything, everything comes down to getting that press right.
1: Jimmy, the last thing to mention on this game and we'll move on is the fact that we have to remember that a lot of international players are coming back, especially South Americans. I mean, there is a lot here, a lot of players who just are coming from, you know, a, a continent where they just played World Cup qualifiers, intense World Cup qualifiers. And now they're being asked to play in this huge game. Does, is that a factor?
2: I think it is, but I think a lot of these players are used to it. They understand what it takes. They're also not flying coach. You know, they're not sitting in middle seats. <laughs> they probably can sleep on their private jets on the way back. So, yeah, there is a time change thing. and There's fatigue that gets, has to be taken into consideration. But, you know, it, it's, it's not like they're suffering in, in some ways uh, on their trips there, there, there and back. And they have the benefit of super nutritionists and all these people that are taking care of all their vitals and making sure that they're eating right and sleeping right. So they're almost like robots in some ways. I don't worry about them too much, but yes, it does catch up to you. Maybe not right away, but in the 60th minute, you might feel your legs a little bit. I feel like a game of this magnitude and what it means to both clubs, you find a way to fight through it. But yeah, I think, it, I think it's valid. I think it's worth speaking about. But ultimately, I think both teams are going to have to suffer from it. They have a couple of players on each team that, that uh, went back or traveled far distances to play for their national team. So I don't know if any, any one team has an advantage one way or the other
1: liverpool everton is the early game on saturday make sure that you tune in and see if jimmy C's betting tips helped you out let's move on to man city against arsenal some analysis here the former student against the former professor Mikel arteta faces pep guardiola this should be a good one jimmy mentioned a few injuries what are we looking here uh benj you know arsenal this arsenal team so well uh what are you looking in this game
0: Two big players to keep your eye out on. Of course, we mentioned in Thomas Partey, £45 million signing and a hugely significant £45 million signing where the, uh, the Cronkies put their own money into the club to pay for Partey's release clause, which was paid in full. It's a major commitment and clearly it's a sign that Partey's the man they want. I think he goes into the starting 11. That's the early intel that he probably will start from the off so long as his two training sessions go to plan. The other one to keep an eye out on, And this guy is so important to how Arsenal play. Kieran Tierney, Scottish left-back slash centre-back because he plays a a strange role in the back three where when Arsenal are in possession, he functions almost as a wing-back and he's a centre-back out of possession. uh, Loves to bomb on. Now, he is a victim of the very strange COVID regulations in Scotland whereby he uh, was in close proximity to one of his teammates who uh, picked up COVID And even though he has antibodies in his system and tested negative on three occasions, as things stand, he won't be playing. And that would be a massive blow for Arteta. Uh, I don't know whether he would stick with the back three and bring Gabriel Magalhish in as the left sided centre back or said Kalasanak, who is a walking yellow card, much like Granit Xhaka. I will be taking that money. Thank you, Jimmy. (laughs) Having that free money. if those two are there, then I like Arsenal's ability to defend against a weakened City. If not, then you start introducing some of these calamity Arsenal defenders. You look at a, a midfield of Xhaka and Sibusiso can do the job. We saw that in the FA Cup final when Arsenal were excellent. But Partey is the man for games like this. This is why you pay. In a, you know, people here for 45 million. They go, "Oh, it's not that much." Arsenal have spent more, but to pay it in one go is huge for a club in this current circumstances. It's not happening. Gabriel, who I mentioned earlier, Arsenal paid 5 million of 25 million so far. Partey's huge. I think he plays and I think he could be a, a real difference maker, even in getting one.
1: What do you think, Jimmy? I mean, the big thing that you told me here that I keep just thinking about, I agree with Benji. I think Thomas Partey is going to be a big one. Um, I just I continue to think about this depleted offensive, uh, you know, trio from Manchester City, and that's somewhere where Mikel Arteta can take advantage. What do you think?
2: I get the sense that Pep's going to fall back to his false nine. He's going to put somebody up there that probably doesn't fit as a nine in general. Maybe it's Phil Foden who's going to drop in and try to create triangles and numerical advantages in the middle of the midfield, and see who can bomb forward or make runs late, and have to keep the center backs for Arsenal paying attention, which if you got David Luiz in there, I don't know. You just, you're rolling the dice with that dude. You never know where if he's going to get sucked into midfield, it's going to open up gaps for Man City's players to run into. He's not the most patient of defenders because that's not where his instincts lie. I am interested that Sterling, I guess is on the fence. Maybe he'll start, maybe he won't. Gundogan can come back into the team. So that will help and give him some options. I'm curious to see about Ruben Diaz, who's going to, you know, probably start next to Laporte in the middle of defense. So... There are a couple of things that I'm excited about, but yes, they don't have their normal weapons. And if De Bruyne is out, that is gonna hurt them a lot. Sterling, obviously, and then no Jesus, no Aguero, none of their normal pieces that they normally have in terms of how they prepare and how they move as a group uh, in the normal spot. So yes, they have talented guys that can hold on to the ball and they probably will have more possession than than Arsenal, but I worry about that that kind of finishing touch they need, or can they get deep enough into that final third? to really trouble Arsenal. Again, though, with some of the center backs that Ben mentioned, it's more than possible that that, that can happen and they can be exploited. It'll be interesting to see where Xhaka kind of lines up off the shoulder of parté or or who does what within those roles. Obviously, Sabios is going to be a little bit higher, but who's going to sit and who's going to actually run and be a little bit more box-to-box? Xhaka seems to want to do that all the time. I feel like he's a closet number 10, right? He thinks he's a string puller when he's really not, and sometimes that gets the better of him. But I don't know. It's going to be an interesting game. That said, uh, Benj made a great point about Sadio Mane. I agree with him that he's super undervalued. um, And I feel like Aubameyang, for whatever reason, even though he scores a ton of goals, the guy lives for the big moments. He loves big games. And for whatever reason, I don't think he's appreciated like he should be. Lacazette, he's kind of hit or miss. So he could score the odd goal and then he won't see him for 80 minutes. But then, you know, he bangs in this one top corner. You're like, all right, I understand why they got him. And then you got William, who I think you know he's he scored big goals for Chelsea in the past. You got Pepe coming off the bench potentially, and and there's just options. And I really like what Arteta's put together, and and he's got a team that can compete and can and hold their own with anybody. And I, I I that's why I really like Arsenal to to get a result of some kind in this one.
1: To your point about Man City. Uh... And Ruben Diaz, I think uh, the other issue is that I think Guardiola is trying to fix this puzzle at the back. He still hasn't figured it out. And that could be the advantage of Arsenal. Man City against Arsenal is 12.30 Eastern, 5.30 local time on Saturday. Uh, Another big game. Is there any other game here in the Premier League, Jimmy, that we could uh, be thinking about?
2: Well, we've talked about a few derbies, right? We have the Merseyside derby. We have the Pep Guardiola against his uh, former assistant derby. There's a United derby, Newcastle versus Manchester United. This is the one where I don't know what's gonna happen because Newcastle can surprise you. They just signed Alon San-Maximin for six years, though I think it's just to get a better transfer fee. He's gonna probably be sold in, in January anyway. So he's doing Mike Ashley and sports director, nice big favor there. Manchester United, Ole Gunnar, like, I just feel like things are all over the place. Harry Maguire's 2020 continues to be dog poop after he got a two yellows and one half, uh, most recently for England in the UEFA Nations League. I just feel like they're all over the place. He's the leader of the team. He hasn't acted like a leader in a lot of different ways this season. And I think that's kind of been a ripple effect. That's not all on him, of course, but there's just, and then De Gea gave up one shot against Ukraine. That was a goal. Like, like, ah, De Gea being De Gea again, you know, I mean, for all the world-class saves, it's those bad ones that we always remember. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. This one's a toss up. There's good value on Newcastle winning straight up. It's plus 400. If you just want to take them, I don't, I wouldn't mind throwing a flyer on that because if Manchester United doesn't get a penalty and VAR doesn't rule in their favor like they did all last season, it's more than possible that Joel Linton could potentially hit, put a shot on goal and it could potentially go in. I don't know. Newcastle's got a lot of question marks, but, but uh, it should be an interesting game for a lot of different reasons, and we'll see how legit this Newcastle team can be though I feel like they're going to be at home and concede 85% possession because that's what they do, and it pisses me off because I'm a Newcastle fan. But that's a different conversation, guys. Benj, <laughs> take it away. <laughs>
1: Before Benj says anything, remember that Edison Cavani is not available for this and Anthony marshall is suspended. So Ole Gunn and Solskjaer has a real dilemma up top. Benj, what do you see here?
0: Uh, oh, God, I do see Newcastle having about 15% possession. Fifteen percent possession and boring me to tears. And <laughs> nil-nil. Just stealing nil that floor. one
1: nothing win, right?
0: Man, I,
1: but then I really like
0: what they could do on the counter. Um, Ryan Fraser is a great pickup, although he's not quite there yet. He's obviously not going to be because his final season at Bournemouth, he was just phoning it in, waiting for the free transfer. Callum Wilson as well. You know, he's one of those one shot, one goal. Um, and look, that Man United defense. As, as Jimmy says, that is there to be got at. I know we were speaking um, in our unofficial pre-record pod, Louis. So actually, I don't know why I'm saying this because I don't need to. But I said that um, Harry Maguire had so consistently been, been described as overrated that he is now underrated. I do think we <laughs> need to reassess that view. He is almost unplayable at the moment. Um, obviously, there is clearly... Those issues that are happening off the pitch are clearly affecting him in some way. His head is not in the game. And um, when his head isn't in the game, because pretty much all he can do is head the ball at the moment, <laughs> he's a complete liability. But then I don't know which uh, which other centre-back would I put next to him. Man United still don't have a left-footer in defence. Um, Luke Shaw, Alex Tejas, I'm not crazy about any of them. Wambasack is the only good defender, I think, in the whole squad. So I think if, if Steve Bruce were to break the habit of a lifetime and try and beat Man United, <laughs> um, they might actually have quite a good chance.
1: Well, Newcastle have won two of their last three Premier League home games against Manchester United, more than they had in their previous 13 against them at St. James's Park. This is the first time Newcastle are facing Man U in a Premier League game while above them in the table since December 2013. Things are pointing in so many directions here. I, I just see this as an ugly, ugly game with a one nothing result. I, I just don't know what else to tell you about this one. <laughs> Let's. I don't move. want to. Talk about no, let's move on. Let's go to a big game. A big game. We're leaving England. We're going to Italy, Serie A. A massive game. AC Milan, Inter Milan, the Milan Derby. AC Milan has started well, undefeated, three wins. Inter Milan is looking to come back, but they're such a good team. So many players. What do you have here? Betting tips, wise, Jimmy C.
2: Yeah, this is this is a great game for a lot of different reasons. As you mentioned, Milan is undefeated this season. But the teams they played, I don't know, Bologna, Crotone, Spezia, like they're not going to blow anybody away. Whereas with Inter, who have given up six goals but uh, are undefeated, they have two wins and a draw. They took on Fiorentina. They came back and won that one 4-3. They beat Benevento 5-2. So they're banging in a lot of goals. And they finally played somebody I think that's a little bit more their level with Lazio, and that one was a 1-1 one, one draw. Both teams got a red card in that I think Inter's the better team, but they got Zlatan on Milan. The guy loves scoring in big games. I think he'll do it again. The last time these two teams played, it was four to two. Milan went up two zero, and then Inter scored four goals in the second half. And that's really important for you guys to know because it informs my bets. Okay. So, what I really like, uh, Inter to win and the over uh, two and a half goals is plus 220. I like that one a lot. Um, and then if, if, if they draw in the first half, I could see like a one-one in the first half, and Inter win the second half. That's plus four thirty. I really like that one a lot. If you want Zlatan to score anytime, plus one hundred five. Uh, Lukaku to score anytime, plus one ten. That guy's on fire. And then Latara Martinez, who also coming back with a lot of confidence after scoring for Argentina, plus one forty-five to score anytime. So those are the bets that I'm looking at right now. And uh, yeah, I have some other other stuff written down. But with regard to William Hill and where I get all the odds, uh, that's what it's looking like.
1: Yeah, well, uh, Benj Inter Milan has won uh, their last four Serie A games against uh, Milan, and the the only streak that's longer than that is the five in a row, which was, you know, uh, you know, way back, you know, seventy nine, eighty three, I believe. So that that that's a long time ago. So you could see, as Jimmy said, yes, AC Milan have started on the feeder; they're looking good. Maybe Slatin coming back, uh, but they've played some weaker opposition. And Inter Milan with Lukaku, Lautaro Martinez, you know, so many pieces. Uh, you could see this going the way of inter what do you see it as bench
0: i mean the two things i'm looking forward to are both in the inter team one at the front one at the back as jimmy was saying man Romelo lukaku over the last few months it's a joy to see this player he is everything one would want from a striker and i think we particularly in england a lot of people were guilty of type seeing a player of his shape of his size and going, he's a target man. Nothing like a target man at all. I'm sure he can play that if you need him. But when you have him in a front two, like he's in with Lattaro and he's free to drift out wide and attack those fullbacks, attack the, the defenders on the flank, he is terrifying. That was the same against England. England had three center backs to deal with uh, Lukaku. For, and they, they couldn't, the whole half an hour where Lukaku was just doing whatever he wanted. Having said that, if I were AC Milan and I was looking for reason to hope, Seems like Inter are a little bit light on defensive options. Milan Scrignas, a doubt, Bastone as well, who looks like the future of Italian centre backs, the next great Italian centre back. So maybe there's going to be some weaker defenders there for, for Zlatan to, to gang up on. I'm not one for the, the cult of Ibrahimovic, but in the big games, he, he always turns up, and I'd be looking forward to to seeing what he has to do against, you know, a defense that's there to be got at, I feel like we might be getting goals there with Lukaku and Martinez at the other end as well.
1: Well, to that point, with all the attack, with all the offensive firepower of Inter Milan, Milan, right, have not conceded in the last four games. So something has to give, Jimmy, that that there is is a game to be had here. What a fantastic matchup. Anything else with this derby?
2: No, I was just going to say that Antonio Conte would be the first manager in Inter history to beat Milan in his first three attempts. So that would be a big deal for him. Obviously, he's very competitive. I think that's very clear when he's stuck on the sidelines. But to further Benja's point about Lukaku, I just feel like he's grown a lot. And I think getting out of Manchester United has changed him in his approach. I, I feel like he's turning half chances into goals whereas before I think he'd squander those chances he's now burying them and I don't think he hesitates anymore he gets in the box and he knows exactly what he wants to do he's not trying to to take that extra perfect touch to set up the shot he just gets it out of his feet and fires it and he's scoring a ton of goals and I think as he continues to do that his confidence grows and then when you have a strike partner like Lautaro Martinez who can stretch the defense in a different way it allows more pockets of space to open up for Lukaku to exploit or to back up the center back I love when he like basically makes himself as big as possible, backs up, and you're like, there's nothing a defender can do. As a former center back, you're stuck. Whether the guy's bigger than you or not, if he's got that that angle and positioning on you, you're in trouble, and that allows pockets of space. I do want to also add that uh, Nico Barella, is a fantastic player he's one of my favorite young players in the world 23 year old midfielder for inter i thought he was fantastic for italy during the UEFA nations league break and i think he's just a player to watch and he's been a good link up player for those two guys in particular i like inter to do the business here i agree with benzo there are some weaknesses uh, defensively due to some losses Uh, i do like the matchup though of hakimi versus theo hernandez i think that's going to be a really fun one to watch on the right side hakimi uh, will be on the right, and Theo Hernandez will be on the left. They're just going to be bombing forward, back and forth at each other. And I really, like for all the purists out there that like kind of love the subtlety and nuance of the game, watching those two guys get after it, who who take some big risks when they go forward and take some chances, and then who's going to defend and who's going to stay, it should be really interesting to watch.
1: Well, the Derby de la Madonnina is on noon uh, on Saturday. Uh, It's going to be your lunchtime game. What a game. What a game. But let's move now from Italy uh, and and wrap things up uh, with this weekend preview uh, to the Scottish Premiership. And we have the old firm. This is a good game. When I'm looking at the table right here, I see Rangers with 26 points, Celtic with 25. Obviously, those top two in Scotland. Uh, Jimmy, what do you have for us in this game? What a game.
2: Well, overall, I would like to see Rangers win. I don't have any – I'm not picking one side or the other. I just felt Celtic's been so dominant. They're like the Juventus or Bayern Munich of Scotland. It'd just be nice to see another team emerge. And I know it's their big rivals, but it'd be kind of cool to see Stevie G. and He's Steven Gerrard. He's managing the team now to, to, to see them push on and actually put Celtic under a little bit of pressure. And I think that would actually elevate Celtic in a lot of different ways since they had a true competitor again. Uh, right now, just the basic line, you know, Celtic to win straight up is plus 150. Uh, Rangers is plus 170. The draw is plus 240. You just flip a coin with these guys. I feel like no matter their current form, this game is just different. The old firm is something special. It's a game that I want to go to one day and see. Now, they both have some injuries and some COVID-related issues as well for their squad, so it'll be interesting to see who they roll out. But uh, I will say this. This is the one fun fact that I think is really interesting about this game in particular is that the team that wins the first old firm of the season – usually goes on to win the league. Of the last 30 years, if you lost the first old firm, you only went on to win it five times. So that is massive. And for Rangers in particular, they really need to put their stamp on things and win this one and put Celtic under some pressure because it does create that distance, give them that cushion. Now Celtic, I think overall, will still probably find a way to win the title, but I'm trying trying to give uh, Rangers a chance here. (laughs)
1: <laughs> if you are a Colombian fan Watch out for Alfredo Morelos Who should be fit as he returns From his Colombian duties bench uh, Any thoughts on the old firm?
0: I feel like this is going to be One of the strangest games To have behind closed doors Unlike, I, I've been lucky enough To attend one old firm It was one of my first football games ever And it is like no, It was at Celtic Park It was like nothing you've ever seen before The One of the most hostile grounds to the the visiting teams it's going to be really special I think I know that a lot of uh, listeners and viewers in the states may not watch Scottish football week in week out and probably think it's a poor cousin of English football there's a degree of truth in that but there are some excellent players on both teams you mentioned Morelos uh, similarly Brian Kent uh, the the winger um, at Rangers and Odson Edward. I'm not sure he, he has a potential Covid issue I think but if he's playing as well, those two are fantastic. And Celtic and Rangers have really been smart of, of like picking up those players at an early age. Sometimes they sell them on for big money, like Van Dijk, like Tierney, like Wanyama. You are seeing stars of the future in these teams here. So keep an eye on it. It's an incredible game. And I'm sure even without the fans there, these two side groups of players hate each other enough that it'll be, it'll be electric.
2: Oh, it's going to be popping off. I agree with you. And what I wanted to say was, with regard to the marketing, of the Scottish Premiership. I don't understand why they would have the game kick off at the same exact time as Everton, Liverpool. Like I don't, that defies logic for me. If you're trying to grow your business and you're trying to grow your your league, why would you ever, I would look at the schedule and be like, all right, we're gonna put it at a different time so we're not competing directly with a, a game that everybody's gonna be watching or a good portion of people are gonna be watching, especially in the States too. That, that I find very interesting. And even if they say, hey, well, the Premier League came in after us, and I would switch the time. Like, if mm. you got there first and the Premier League took that time, then switch the time and find a, a different time to do it so that you have as many people. Because I would love to watch that game, but I'm a little bit more drawn to Everton-Liverpool. And, and that feels unfortunate because of all the things that you mentioned, Bench.
1: Well, I just feel sorry for any spouse this weekend, and, uh, you know, who doesn't like the game and they have to follow their soccer related spouse watching all these games. Unbelievable. Great weekend preview. Thank you so much for that, chaps. Welcome back, everybody. And now we are talking about the golden boy. 2020 shortlist. It's the final 20 nominations uh, for the annual prize, which is distributed by the Italian newspaper Tutto Sport, and they've been confirmed. Uh, and the final results come out in December, December 14. There's some great names here, fellas. I mean, obviously, uh, Arlen Haaland, Alfonso Davis, Eduardo Camavinga, Serginho Dest, Ansu Fati, Phil Foden. It's like, the best fantasy lineup under 21. It's just unbelievable. Any thoughts on obviously the favorites? I know that I have some, uh, some, but also like people that people may not know about. Dominic Shobosly, the Hungarian attacking midfielder. I love that guy so much. So many great players. Um, Benj, let's begin with you. Anything that sticks out with this shortlist? I mean, it's tremendous.
0: It is tremendous. It's tremendous if you're English. We have five of the 20. Wow. No other nation has More than two. Um, And I mean, I, you know, I could wax lyrical about Bukayo Saka for ages and I'm going to (laughs) a really exceptional young footballer who's already excelled at left back, a left winger, is developing into a fine central midfielder, has brilliant uh, GCSEs for American listeners. That's the equivalent of, I don't know, some sort of pre-SAT thing. But I mean, the kid could probably go to Oxford or Cambridge if he wasn't an amazing footballer. Um, But I don't know, I look at this list, there are some incredible talents, and yet I just look at it and I go, well, Erling Haaland's going to win it, isn't he? It feels like there should be a debate, but we've witnessed a really exceptional coming-of-age season from a a young player. So I'm looking at it, I I love names like Kamavinga, Davies has been a key part of the best team in Europe. But like, I'm, I'm picking Erling Haaland. He's has got the, the guy's the terminator of, of football. Amazing. And I mean, they don't always live up to the hype, the Golden Boys, um, but this one's going to.
2: It's
1: gonna yeah. Be- I, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think Erling Haaland. But Jimmy, there's also some American talent here and some other names that are worth mentioning. What do you think?
2: Well, I would want to give a shout out to our North American counterparts, Alfonso Davies. I think, what doesn't get talked about a lot is that they spent the season before 80 million on Lucas Hernandez and he doesn't even play because Alfonso Davies has really emerged as the guy. And that's a big deal. And I think that that should merit more of that. However, he does play on one of the best teams in all of Europe, if not the best team in Europe. Uh, so there's a lot of guys ahead of him that, that make him look good as well. He probably doesn't have to defend as truthfully as he might need to with if he played for another club because they usually have a lot of the ball. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how his career progresses, because I still think when people look at his game, he's not a defender by trade. So he's got a lot to learn on that side of it, but he's a quick learner, super smart. And I love his game. I think early Holland, I think what's cool about him is that he was doing, doing it for RB Salzburg. And then he transitioned to Dortmund and just continued to do it. And then he's like, I'll play for my national team and just continue to do it. So there's really no knock. There's no drop off at any point where you can, you can kind of point to something and say, well, he didn't play well for three months here. No, the guy's been great throughout. So that's going to be pretty tough. And, I think he's going to overshadow Jaden Sancho, who's obviously very a very good player as well. Uh, I throw Camavinga in there. I'm a big fan of him. Ansu Fati I think deserves a shout. Maybe he's emerged a little bit too late in terms of like the whole progression of the of the calendar, but it's it's clear this season without Suarez, without Vidal, without some of these Barcelona mainstays that have moved on, uh, that Messi has to rely on him, and he's he's proving to be the goods. So I'm really excited to see Ansu Fati's career as well.
1: Yeah, this list is ridiculous, I agree. I think Arlene Haaland is going to lead the way. Some amazing names both of you have mentioned. It's kind of crazy, actually, that we also forget about players like Vinicius Jr. Just because we are so aware and familiar of that name, we forget that he's still so young and he's done so much in his career uh, so far with Real Madrid. I want you to pay attention. Go on YouTube later on, guys, and just watch uh, Ryan Grabenberch, 18-year-old Ajax midfielder. This guy... His technical abilities. He's 18, 18 years old, and it's just so beautiful to watch. But what a list! He, I agree. Uh, I think uh,
2: Luis is to jump in. He reminds me of me. I'm just going to throw that out there when I <laughs> he, see He's them. the
1: <laughs> Dutch Jimmy Conrad. <laughs> Thank Absolutely. you.
2: Absolutely. Can we cut that out and put that somewhere? That's great. Thank you very much. That'll
1: be your drop every time. <laughs> now the the, the American uh, uh, Ryan Graveman, the American version of Ryan Graveman. <laughs> I, can't, I never thought I'd compare you to Grind Gravenberg, but here we are doing it. Absolutely, it. I'll take I love it. it. <laughs> but what a list! But guys, uh, you tell us. Kegolasso Pod, uh, send some comments, questions, maybe show in a video, and, and and show us who do you think should win it. I mean, Arlen Helen clearly leads, but there's some great, great, great names, and the results are on December 14 such a great loaded episode we have a few more things to talk about before we say goodbye to james bench because it's getting late over there and he needs his beauty sleep um talk to us james about something that's been going on in england in the premier league in the efl that kind of came and went but it's definitely left an ongoing theme right uh talk to us about uh the project big picture
0: Right, so on Sunday um, news emerged from the Daily Telegraph of a document that was being put together predominantly by Liverpool and Manchester United that proposed the most significant reform of the Premier League since its formation in 1992. The key issues here is most of all that the Premier League would have been reduced from 20 teams to 18, which is one of the reasons why it failed. Uh, We would have seen the abolition of the League Cup significantly more money would have gone to the EFL and gone to grassroots courses and the FA. However, the price for that was that the the big six and the three other longest-serving Premier League teams, which in this instance would have been West Ham, Southampton and Everton, would have had enhanced voting rights. Now, the view of Liverpool and Manchester United is we're the sort of clubs that the Premier League product is all about. You know, when we're talking on Keir We're not talking about Huddersfield Town. We're not talking about Burnley. Those proposals were discussed at the Premier League meeting on Thursday and were roundly rejected unanimously. So Manchester United and Liverpool rejected their own plan because they were acutely aware that it wouldn't go through. However, they had the backing of the EFL, largely because the EFL look at this plan and say, well, look, we know that we're stacking the deck in the top flight in favour of the big six, but... We're going to have to accept that to make it through this coronavirus winter. These clubs are playing behind closed doors, very minimal revenue. It's only the, the only revenue they're getting is from streaming services. And they think, actually, we might have to make the deal with the devil. Otherwise, we might not make it to the end of this season. And so before the Premier League meeting, the EFL agreed near unanimously. There's been some debate as to how united they were over the plan. The plan may be dead in the water in its current format, but this is part of a long process that is really about consolidating power with these big six clubs. For those of you that don't know who I mean, Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City, Tottenham, Chelsea and Arsenal. We've seen this before with overseas broadcasting rights. There's been big debates over that. They want to play more Champions League games, more European involvement. And that is the direction we are heading. We're now looking at talks as well of an independent uh, independent body to oversee football regulation, because what's quite clear is something needs to happen. Clubs are coming here with uh, proposals, but there's this uniquely English idea that we'll see that there's a need for change, but we can't agree on anything because it means abandoning traditions. We couldn't get rid of our FA Cup replays, our League Cup and Community Shield, lower tier competitions. So this is not the end. It's the end of Project Big Picture in its current form, but basically what Liverpool and Man United have done here is set the terms of debate. So they probably will not get their control of the league as they want it but we're heading in one direction
2: so benja my question for you is it seems like they tried to put something out there that they could ultimately work with that they maybe if they swung too hard they're like oh yeah well just bring it back a little bit and mm. there they could find that happy medium there do you think that was thought out do you think that was done on purpose so that they could end up finding a middle ground that could maybe satisfy more people they were just trying to plant the seed that hey maybe think about the world like this and then they could try to find that that, that, that the happy place I think that's absolutely true. I mean, look, what we saw was not a
0: finished document. It was not a proposal that went out to the Premier League clubs and, you know, clubs I've spoken to away from the big six have said this was the first we'd heard about. It It was when it leaked in the newspaper. So obviously they wanted to present this in a slightly different way, I'm sure. But yeah, this is about saying, okay, look, this is what we want. You tell us what you want and let's compromise in the middle. I don't really see the, the um, enhanced voting rights and the big six having an effective power of veto. I don't see that flying, but I think that eventually they will be able to to talk other clubs around and say, look, you've got to give us something because we're the people that are making you the money. There was one really interesting proposal as well was in the next broadcasting uh, rights round that clubs will be able to stream their own games or eight games on their own website, which is really interesting because if I'm a Liverpool fan, uh, in the States, well, there are Liverpool fans in the States, and they will pay They'll pay $15 to, to watch a game on their website. I mean, how many Burnley fans are there that will do the same? Sorry to pick on Burnley, uh, but you know what I mean. And I think that we're, we're, these are the conversations they're going to start foisting on people. It's the same as we've got with the start of pay-per-view um, in the Premier League this weekend. The big six know that they are the people that you guys in the States, in China, around the world a tuning interview, and we even heard conversations they might break away. I don't think that was ever really on the cards, but they're certainly going to want other clubs to believe that the nuclear option is is out there and ready to be hit.
1: I think a good way of describing it, as you mentioned, is making the deal with the devil as he helps you get up, I guess. Uh, An ongoing theme and an ongoing problem due to COVID-19. James Benj, CBS Insider writer, thank you so much for being part of episode two and we will see you very soon my friend see you soon well everybody we're wrapping up things here with your questions thank you so much for sending them kego lasso pod on twitter also video them please send me some video we want to put them on youtube guys all right and make sure that you write uh, a rating a review and more and more on questions thank you so much this one coming in From Alex Calado, apologies if I'm saying your last name wrong. Thank you so much. And it was a conversation that Jimmy and myself were having about Neymar. Um, He says, fan from Portugal here, loved the energy. Thank you very much. When Jimmy and I are together, we bring it. Uh, Regarding Neymar, I think the more interesting discussion is if Neymar is better than Rivaldo, not just talent, but career and impact on teams they play. Jimmy, what do you think?
2: So Rivaldo, for me, fits in the same category as Neymar a little bit. He has had this illustrious career, though Neymar hasn't won a World Cup yet. Rivaldo has. I would say that that famous dive that Rivaldo had where he got hit like in the leg and then fell down and grabbed his face in the corner flag, I think it was a World Cup game, maybe against- Like he was shot,
1: like he was in an episode of The Wire and he was just shot.
2: (laughs) I honestly feel like that tainted his career in a lot of different ways. And I actually think what hurts Neymar too is social media, right? So now they can turn your actions into a meme. And now, you know, when he was rolling around in the 2018 World Cup, you know, somebody grabbed it and he's rolling around all over the world, you know, and it just, it's super funny, but it probably doesn't do much for his reputation. And I think that hurts both of those players. So Rivaldo, yes, I think he should be in the conversation. An excellent player. I got to play against him back in January when everything was still normal at this little five-a-side thing. Him and Denilson were on the same team, and I just couldn't wow. believe. Amazing. First of all, I couldn't believe how big these guys were. They're like they're big dudes, uh, really long legs. And I just started – I tried to get the ball for Rivaldo, and we both just started laughing. Like, I, I can't get anywhere near this guy, you know? I mean, he's just so good at holding the ball. All those guys are. They're so world-class. But, yeah, Rivaldo should be in the conversation. He could do it had a magic left foot, good on set pieces, and could beat you in so many different ways. But I'm still with you. I think I think, uh, R9 Ronaldo might be the, my favorite of all time. I think Ronaldinho still at his peak was better than both of those guys, uh, Rivaldo and Neymar. And then Pelé, I, I think, is untouchable. Maybe he's not even involved in this conversation. But Garrincha as well. Like Those guys are the old school guys. I'd say with kind of the modern game, I'd say Ronaldinho still, or, or R9 was probably my, my number one.
1: Yeah, I concur on the going to add too much. I would add just Romario to that conversation. But in terms of Rivaldo, I, I actually replied to Alex on Twitter. Thank you so much for the question. And I, the same things that you're talking about. The only thing that I would say, as you said, you know, Rivaldo's won a World Cup. He was a runner up in 98 as well. He won three uh, titles in La Liga. Uh, he's played, you know, with Olympiacos, a uh, Champions League with Milan. So, you know, he has this overall thing. And as I mentioned yesterday, there's a World Cup in there. Okay. I know that it's a cliched argument, but there's a World Cup in there. Okay, and that's major. All right, moving on to another question from a very good friend, a very good friend, a Villa fan, Tom Fernelli. Tom Fernelli from CBS wanted to send the cue. And uh, we're going to come to Sedia A. And it's long um, longtime listener. Well, <laughs> I'm glad that you're a longtime listener. First time questioner Should Sedia A be thrown in prison for what it's doing to Napoli? Uh, I'll hang up and listen. He's obviously talking about the 3 nothing win that was awarded to Juventus because Napoli wasn't going to travel because, obviously, of coronavirus positive uh, test infections. What do you think, Jimmy?
2: I think that's a harsh assessment from Serie A to punish them. Obviously, everybody agreed to a certain set of rules prior to the season starting, I'm sure, with regard to these types of situations. So they probably knew going in that this was what was going to happen. I'd like to think that there is a middle ground somewhere, especially between these two clubs in particular, because they could be vying for the Scudetto once again, even though Juve is looking to be one of the favorites. Once again, no big surprise there. Hopefully Inter Milan takes them down. But Napoli could do it too. I don't know. I, I, it's unfortunate that there was this breakdown in, in, in communication. Between everybody, like they couldn't find a resolution that could please everybody. It was very black or white. And I feel like with COVID, you, you got to let some gray seep in, you got to have some some plan B's and plan C's that are going to kind of appease everybody, especially in a competition that's as prestigious as uh, Serie A.
1: Yeah, listen, I, yes, they should. Go. What, are you kidding me? Like, especially Italy, the, you, one of the first countries in Europe to be struck by this. You know how much you have gone through. Napoli's doing the right thing by not showing up because there's, hello, a pandemic, and you're going to punish them for it? You can't even think, well, maybe we can play this game later in the schedule? Are you joking? To your point. Yes, we need more communication here, but it's absolutely insane. Napoli did the right thing and they got punished. It's, it's just I mean, they, they got, the got proven mistake. right
2: too, because some Juve players have tested positive. Right. Now Whether Cristiano got that, you know, on the international break and Weston McKinney. I mean Weston McKinney didn't go on an international break, right? So it's I don't know. I mean, I think they've been proven right that, that some of uh, UV's Juve's players have tested positive.
1: Yeah, it's unbelievable they got punished for this, and yes, they should go to prison. All of them. Ridiculous. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for joining episode two. Jimmy C, James Bench, always my fellas. Jimmy, thank you so much. And I know that you'll be back very soon. Thank you, brother.
2: Thank you. Awesome as always.
1: That's it for today. Thank you so much, everybody. We will be back on Sunday night to recap all this action. Don't forget to follow Que Golaso Pod on Twitter and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Que Golasso, a daily CBS soccer podcast. We will see you on Sunday night. Enjoy your beautiful football.